A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. He koonai ipurangi tēnei nā te reo irirangi o Aotearoa. Nā mihi nui. I'm Alison Balance and welcome to this Our Changing World podcast from RNZ. Researchers at the University of Canterbury have $3 million and three years to come up with some new ways to clean up water. The project, Clean Water Technology for Restoring Te Mana o Te Wai, is led by environmental engineer Ashling O'Sullivan. To find out more, I catch up with her and with product design expert Tim Huber in a 3D printing lab in the School of Engineering. Ecological engineering is a subdiscipline of engineering that uses knowledge of ecosystem process or how the environment works to provide solutions for civilizations, but also solutions for the planet in a nutshell. So we would solve environmental problems, but we'd look at it from a whole systems perspective and what benefits the ecosystem as well as solving problems for society. You've got an exciting project that's about to start. Do you want to paint me a quick picture of that one? So we have a project called Clean Water Technologies, and this is a very exciting project that uh, is going to start in a few months' time. It's funded by SIFTI, SIFTI are Science for Technological Innovation. They are one of the National Science Challenges. So it's a three-year project with seven different partner institutions across Aotearoa, New Zealand, and I'm leading it. And our goal is to create the next generation of uh, water treatment media that are sustainable, that are not made from plastic, and that are going to be able to circumvent the limitations associated with filters currently. So this is water treatment of water that we're going to drink, or we're just going to clean up wastewater? We're not targeting drinking water. This is wastewater from, say, municipal wastewater treatment plants, so that's when you flush your toilet and water that goes down your showers uh, and your inside drains all goes to our wastewater treatment plants. And at the moment, 60% of these wastewater treatment plants are not going to meet these more stringent water quality regulations in the new water reforms. So we're going to help them meet those by targeting particularly nutrients, nitrogen and phosphorus, as well as some pathogens and heavy metals. So you need to be able to extract all of these things. So we're going to immobilise them. Um, As I explained to my students, law mass conservation, we can't get rid of anything. We can only convert it from one form to another. So we're converting it from a dissolved form in water or a mobile form to an immobile form so that when the water passes through, it goes into our inland waterways cleaner than it could otherwise. How do we do this at the moment? So at the moment we have some filters that are made from plastic at a wastewater treatment plant. We have some that are made from activated carbon, but there's a lot of complexities associated with these filters and there's also a lot of uh, manipulation where we have to add chemicals that are potentially hazardous and, as I said, the media are plastic, so they invariably end up in 
landfill. So that's not great for the planet. It's also not optimising what we could be doing. So it's not getting the best treatment efficiency as we could. What's your great idea? What are you planning? So our great idea is we are going to produce the next generation of wastewater treatment media and why they'll be the next generation is because we're going to bioplot them or biofabricate them so this means we're going to be able to print them like 3d printing but we can use a precise recipe of the materials we use some of those materials will be waste resources that we'll reuse so that aligns with more a circular economy and we'll also be able to manipulate the shape of them the prosty and the chemical recipe on the outside so we can target the wastewater signatures rather than just relying on the status quo. So fabricating these things, this is where you come in, Tim? That is exactly where I come in, yes. So I'm on another project, another research project as well, where we have looked at 3D printing really complex structures that turn out to be really good at creating interesting flow patterns throughout the structure. So and that is interesting for the other project because we're trying to bind molecules and viruses and so on. But of course, there's a huge amount of overlap with trying to bind pollutants. Right? Because the only big difference is really the chemistry of the surface. And so and then one of the things that I particularly do in that research project is trying to 3D print a new type of material um, that hasn't been 3D printed before, that is specifically made for the application. And that's what we'll be doing in this project as well, with the difference that our raw material is potentially a waste material. So we are thinking about maybe spent brewer's grain, maybe seashells, mussel shells. Wool offcuts, and um, also with a, a core structure of probably cellulose based from the agri-food waste industry. So we see lots of opportunity to use what some people call waste, I like to see as uh, uncapitalized resources and to uh, valorize, so make them a new resource, a new economically valuable resource. So the proposed research we're doing, we've consulted really widely with industry, with government, and of course with our, our Māori partners to get their feedback before the project came to fruition and really overwhelming support for the novelty and the need for this technology. So that helped validate what we're doing is on the right path. The project also fits within the SIFTI brief, which has to be sticky, so that's relevant to Aotearoa New Zealand, and also has to be stretchy, so it has to be very complex, very challenging, and it has to be a, a, it's a STEM project. So you've got this idea of the ingredients you might use for these um, filters. Do you have any recipes yet for how you might go about using the ingredients? This is going to be part of, of the stretch of of the sciences to see how well we can actually print those or bioprint them in different combinations and then we will need to test those in the lab for different wastewater signatures so whether it's a high nutrient whether potentially metals or potentially emerging contaminants how do they respond to these different media part of the project where i come in that is part of the stretchy science because we ultimately have very little idea of how that would work with the materials we ultimately end up choosing. What we do have is a fair amount of experience in printing similar materials. So we've done, in my research group, we've done a fair amount of work and we've identified methods for how we can figure out how a 3D printer processes those materials and what becomes important in those processing steps. So if you look around and you see the printer moving over there, you can see it's, it's 
extruding a type of material and the speed at which it does that and the temperature at which it does that and the speed at which it moves all affect the quality of the structure it's trying to make. And those are all things that interact with each other. So we have to do really complex amount of study of combining different factors and figuring out how that works with the material we're trying to print to create the structure we need. So Ash and Ricardo in their labs can test them to see how well they can work for treating wastewater. So Ricardo Bella Mendoza has just arrived. Ricardo is an environmental engineer and he's also on the team. And So Ricardo is going to be leading a lot of the adsorption studies. So this is how the media react to the wastewater signature that we're going to be testing in the lab. My formation is in environmental and chemical engineering, process engineering. So my focus, or the focus of my research is on water quality, the processes that we can use to remove contaminants from water. So this is a very exciting project because we can potentially use, reuse waste materials to remove pollutants from water. And then we can potentially use some of these pollutants in the water for a useful purpose. For example, we can remove nutrients from the water and then we can apply this absorbance with the nutrients into the soil and that can then recover fertilizers. So what sort of qualities do, will these media need to be to be able to absorb different kinds of pollutants or nutrients? Well, they may have some physical characteristics, like uh, having a large specific surface area. So the larger the area, the larger the chances of these pollutants to, to attach to the surfaces. We will be looking at the porosity, again, because that will change the surface area of the pollutants. We may also have to, to make some chemical changes to the material, so we can have some chemicals that will be uh, friendly with the pollutants that we want to remove from the water, so they can actually attach very strongly, and then we can remove it from the, from the water. So we call that additive manufacturing in a technical term, which is effectively what we're going to do. But additive manufacturing of the complex structures that we envisage are very, very much in their infancy. And especially in engineering, most of the applications would have been applied to medical technologies. And certainly there's never been an application yet to water treatment systems. But because of the recent advances in 3D printing, we thought we can capitalize on on those advances and use our combined knowledge and and understanding of additive manufacturing marry the two and apply them to a wide range of water treatment technologies so have you worked on projects that are that are planning to use the kind of waste materials that this project is using Well, not at the moment, but there is a large potential for this kind of materials to be used in different aspects of wastewater treatment. For example, one other area that we'll be tackling with this project is the biological uh, removal of pollutants. So usually what happens in wastewater treatment plants is that we need some ways to retain large masses, volumes of microorganisms in tanks. So one way to do this is to provide them with surfaces where they can grow, forming biofilms. Right. So usually we use a plastic material, ceramic materials to do this. But in this case, we can use bio-waste materials, biological materials to provide some support surfaces for the microorganisms to grow. And at the same time, food, a source of carbon for the microorganisms to, to eat. So while they are using, for example, nitrogen, removing nitrogen from the wastewater, they can be using the carbon from the supporting media. And that will help them to grow and to support their activities. Now we are actually standing in a 3D printing lab. There's some things on the table there. Can we just have, quickly have a look? I'm thinking that 
The terms that I'm hearing from these two are porosity and enormous surface area, which implies something very fine, which is going to be a bit of a challenge for you. That is a bit of a challenge. The good news is it has been a challenge for a couple of years for me already uh, uh, due to other projects I've been working on. So what we see here on the table, those are um, parts made from thermoplastic. So like your standard plastics for 3D printing, they're called PLA and ABS. Those are what most people probably associate with a 3D printer. And we again, we see them here in the background. They're printing a plastic filament, a string of plastic. So they're a feedstock of known quality. So you don't... Feedstock of known quality. So what... what uh, the big difference of this project is we are actually be using a different technology. So we are using a technology that is closer to what's called bioplotting. This is what has been largely used so far in medical applications for tissue scaffolding, so for trying to make 3D complex structures for human cells to attach to and grow and diverge and develop. But those printers or plotters that have been developed, they're using gel-based material. So it's a little somewhere between jelly and toothpaste um, and how the materials behave. And so we have a lot of experience with this. And the huge advantage of those materials is they're inherently porous. So they have a very fine internal porous structure. You won't be able to see them with the naked eye. So if you look at them, they look like a solid. But if you look at them under a microscope, you will see lots and lots and lots of little pores creating that um, really large surface area that Ricardo needs for his chemistry. Um, so that's different from what you're holding in your hand, which is solid. That is very different from what I'm holding in my hand. What, what is interesting about the part that I'm holding in my hand is this is one of the huge advantages of 3D printing is this is a part that you couldn't make in any other way than 3D printing. Because what is so unique about 3D printing is that you're building a part up from nothing into something, while traditionally, what we call traditionally manufacture is subtractive, so we're taking things away from a block of material. And so the structures we'll be looking into 3D printing for this project, they are so complex that 3D printing is the only way you can make them. There is no other way how you could machine them. But what we do know from other research is that they are extremely good at creating not only a large surface area, um, but also really interesting flow through those internal channels. Well, I've just pulled out a picture from actually a research proposal for this this project, um, Alison, and uh, this is a, a picture, of, well, it's a dual picture, it's a 3D printed gyroid structure. We may not proceed with the gyroid structure, we, we have to test what geometry works best for us, but what you can see on the right hand side is SEM imagery, so that's scanning electron microscopy imaging, and so you can see the highly porous nature, but also the, how that gives rise to a high amount of surface area. And so the more surface area, the more opportunity for chemical transfer, chemical immobilisation. It's interesting, if you hadn't told me that was a 3D printed object, the porous close-up looks like a piece of coral I might pick up on the beach. Well, that's right. That's where ecological engineering comes in. We're really biomimicking what happens in nature. And by understanding how biological systems work, we can replicate that as engineers, but managing it in a precise way for monumental gains, hopefully. Overall, the, the media that we are aiming to produce, we want them to have a lower footprint, so a greater environmental contribution, use them at the end of their life cycle, so if they can be regenerated, if they, so that means they can be reused again, or they may end up um, going to a landfill, but they'll be biodegradable, or they may end up as a fertiliser. So we, we are keeping the whole material loop closed. So there's two parts to this. So there's uh, effectively a, a, 
a dual pronged approach in terms of the uh, technology we're trying to improve. And one is called a biocarrier, and that biocarrier is the plastic media, current plastic media, that houses a whole heap of appropriate microorganisms to help treat wastewater biologically. So every wastewater treatment plant. But we're also at the same time looking at uh, going to improve the filtration side. So this is the adsorption. Um, capacity of media for a whole heap of other wastewater applications and we're looking at, at 3D printing those additive manufacturing those to create optimal geometry optimal yeah, porosity optimal chemical recipes specific for different wastewater treatment applications if when this technology uh, is proven it's application we think even beyond the water treatment sector such as like air filtration systems gas scrubbers so we don't see it as limited to uh, water treatment wastewater treatment applications so in terms of ultimate manufacturing so not just at the testing scale but in the production scale when you get to that stage 3d printing is still going to be completely key wow that is a very good question so what the big problem with 3d printing from a manufacturing point of view is that it's very slow so your production speed doesn't scale with the part numbers you're making. So it takes us, if you're making one part, let's say it takes us 30 minutes. If you're making a thousand parts, we would need a thousand printers, and then they'll all be taking 30 minutes to make a thousand parts, right? So that is, of course, bad news if you're thinking about the sort of volumes we would need for water treatment in New Zealand. The good news is that as we are also doing, I'm also part of another research group where we're currently developing a new type of 3D batch manufacturing. So it's not quite 3D printing, but it is a technology that allows us to make those same complex geometries at a much, much higher speed. So probably between 10 to 100 times faster than what we currently can do with the 3D printers that we bought from other companies. And so this is how the research between this project that we are about to start and the project I started on last year, how they can connect, because the technology we're using in both projects is the same. We're just using different recipes, formulations for totally different applications. So we call that mass customization. So when we produce large batch scales, and as Tim said, it may not be uh, bioplotting when we go and scale this technology up uh, over time, but it'll have proven that the science is feasible to produce these media that circumvent the limitations associated with the media at the moment. And if you look at the predictions from industry, what will happen in the 3D printing space, the assumption is that 3D printing will get faster and faster and cheaper and cheaper, so it will become, in all likelihood, another method for mass manufacturing. That is a prediction. We do not know if that will come true, but um, we're currently operating on the idea that in 10 years' time, we all might have a 3D printer sitting in our garage or there will be a 3D printing bureau at every corner and you can just go get the stuff made and it won't be a problem. I guess one of the points, I'm not sure if we made this yet, is the reason we're going to, we are focusing on the media is because we've an opportunity to make a bigger impact than just choosing, say, one technology. If we work on a, a media filtration, we can apply that to many technologies and that's what really excites me of going down this pathway rather than try to optimise one particular technology for one sector. How many years have you got to do this? <laughs> We've got three years, Alison, but as I alluded to earlier, we have a really strong team of science leaders, science researchers across this programme, and we have a number of uh, rangatahi 
scientists coming in and we are very proud to work with Māori partners on this and co-developing um, this technology. Obviously within three years we are not going to have commercialised the technology where it's available in every Bunnings or, or every odour treatment shop but we'll certainly be in a, hopefully a very strong position um, where we've tested it in the field, the small scale in the field and then ready to hopefully take it from there to commercialise but one of the key things we hadn't talked about yet is what we can do is quantify the true environmental footprint of these media. So we're going to use a technique called life cycle assessment, and we can use different computational models to do that. And we will be able to quantify how much carbon, how much water is um, consumed or used in generating this media. And we can compare that to the status quo. And we can also look at if these media are in different wastewater treatment applications, how big a footprint is that on the environment overall? At the moment, that's not happened. These, these media aren't considered for their whole-of-life costs. And that's, uh, I guess, as an ecological engineer, that's a, a core aspect, I think, is really important to look at the whole system. Thanks, Ashling. Ashling O'Sullivan is an environmental engineer at the University of Canterbury, where she leads CELTS, the Centre for Ecological Technical Solutions. Also at the University of Canterbury, Tim Huber is in the School of Product Design, and Ricardo Bella Mendoza works with wastewater in the area of humanitarian engineering. Clean water technology for restoring te mana o te wai is funded by the Science for Technological Innovation National Science Challenge. I'm Alison Balance in this Our Changing World podcast from RNZ, first aired on the 4th of February 2021. You can find photos and links at our webpage, rnz.co.nz slash ourchangingworld. And the subscription link for the free email newsletter is at the bottom of the page. You can also subscribe to us as a podcast, RNZ Science, wherever you listen to podcasts. Do check out the podcast tab at rnz.co.nz. You'll find some great audio and video series there on a wide range of topics. We're on Facebook and Twitter as RNZ Science. Many thanks for your company. Namihi. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.